If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hey everyone, on today's episode of Games with Bill, we're going to be talking about E3 officially being canceled. We're going to talk about Sony being on the lookout for more acquisitions, and we're going to talk about Valve listening to us when it comes to the software on the Steam Deck. We got those stories, we got more. If that sounds good, let's get started. The beginning of summer is always a super exciting time because of E3. And for those of you that don't know, my day job is I'm a high school teacher. The odds of me ever being able to go to E3 are absolutely zero. It's never going to happen. I'm okay with that. I still get excited for E3 because E3 means lots and lots of game announcements. And we, we kind of get a look into what's going to be happening in the next 6 to 12 months in the gaming industry, which for me is very exciting. However... Even before the pandemic hit, I feel like E3 was limping along, and, and I almost feel like I'm being mean, but at the same time kind, if that makes any sense. Like, the idea that E3 was limping along seems mean, but I feel like, boy, I don't know if I'm being harsh enough, because they had already lost Sony. Sony had said, we're doing our own thing. Xbox decided to do their own thing at the same time as E3, almost like a competing thing, which was really weird. And Nintendo, they've just been doing a digital thing forever, it seems like, with their Nintendo Directs. So E3 was, in my opinion, on its last legs. And then the pandemic hit, and it was over. Uh, they canceled their in-person show. The digital events just were not as exciting. They didn't draw as many eyeballs. They thought maybe next year we'll be able to make it better. And then next year came, it didn't get any better because the digital event is not as fun. And of course, there was now competition with the Summer of Games or Summer Game Fest. I can't remember what it's called, but it's something like that. And so E3 became less and less relevant and of course it did. Because getting your message out to your consumers is so much easier now than it has ever been in the past, the big companies, and even the little companies, they don't need E3 to talk to us. They can do it on their own. They can have a Twitch channel. They can put out a YouTube video. And if they do that, they don't have to buy a booth at E3. They don't have to fly employees out to California. They don't have to, um, you know, make sure that they have a build of the game that is playable um, in, in such a way that it really shows off how good their game is. They could just show us how good their game is and kind of hide all of the all of the rough edges that would that journalists that get to go to E3 would find. And some might say that that's a bad thing, but it's pretty compelling when you think about how much money you can save by not going to E3, which is why Sony hasn't gone in a few years. And when E3's physical, um, uh, physical conference got canceled and they decided to go all digital, 
the motivation for companies to try and get something ready on time, I think that that dwindled, especially because they can say, you know what, we're going to wait until everything's over and then put out our, our announcement then. Uh, Summer Game Fest kind of spreads things out over a very long period of time. Instead of everything being in one week, it's spread out over this over the entire summer. And that means that the competition for eyeballs is less intense. I can make an announcement and, you know, three, four days later, you can make an announcement and your announcement doesn't necessarily step on mine. And again, because they're not flying anybody anywhere or getting booth space or renting hotel rooms or any of that stuff or flying equipment across the country, because they're not doing any of that stuff, it's so much cheaper. I mean, look, you're watching a show from some nerd in his attic. Uh, I've got a camera, a microphone, a couple of lights, and uh, I can do this one-man studio thing. And it's not that expensive in order to do this stuff. So for game companies to do all of that crazy prep for E3 just becomes less and less appealing. So like I've said many times in the past, I don't know if E3 can ever recover from the pandemic. I don't know if that's going to be something that we're going to see in the future. The ESA is telling us that E3 is coming back better than ever in 2023, but I just don't buy it. Do you? Let me know in the comment section down below if you're watching this on YouTube. And if you're not watching this on YouTube, head on over to youtube.com slash nerdnest and subscribe. All right, let's move on to Valve. The Steam Deck is my new favorite console. And the thing that I have to say is that Valve is very, very quick. They're behaving like a small company. Large companies generally, they, they make turns like aircraft carriers, really slow, wide turns, where Valve seems to be operating more like a startup, like a speedboat, quick, fast turns, quick turnaround on fixing things. And since I got my hands on the Steam Deck, I've gotten tons and tons of updates. And these are not small updates that they're doing. They're fixing so many bugs and they're changing UI stuff on a regular basis. Uh, they even just recently updated the keyboard so that you could type with the trackpads, which, I mean, some would say, why didn't they have that done to begin with? And I agree with them. But others would say, wow, the fact that they're making these changes so quick, uh, so close to the launch of their system means that they are firing on all cylinders. Um, I will say that the keyboard still needs a lot of work, in my opinion, because the keyboard, ah, boy, you type with the trackpads, let me select my letters with the triggers. That's what I would change on the, the new dual trackpad keyboard. I think that that would be better. And it would be more like the one that they had on big picture mode. But that's not what we're here to talk about. What we're here to talk about instead is something that I have had a complaint about since day one. And that is that there's no security protocols built into the Steam Deck at all. Um, sure, I, have, I can lock down my Steam account. If somebody gets a hold of my Steam Deck, I can open up my Steam account on my phone or on my computer and I can say, all right, let's lock it down. That's great. But somebody could still grab my Steam Deck and I'm going to do it right now. I just hit this button and it's going to turn itself on. 
and I'm in. Like I'm, I have access to everything on here, and that's always rubbed me the wrong way. I never liked that. I always wanted to have like a pin that I would have to put in. Like on my Xbox, when I sit down and I go to, to log in on my Xbox, I grab the controller and I have to put in some, I can't even remember what my code is, which is bad, just my, I have muscle memory of it, that I put in the code real quick and then I'm done. Um, and it doesn't take me any extra time and that added security means that nobody I mean, I don't have to worry about it because my kids aren't super young anymore. Uh, but I wouldn't ha if I had young kids running around, I wouldn't have to worry about my young kids turning on the Xbox and deleting my saves or uh, making $400 purchases on Fortnite because I didn't lock the, the system down. Um, so I think that that's fantastic. And it's something that I've been complaining about with the Steam Deck since day one. First off, I don't think that, I certainly have not been the only person who's been complaining about this. Tons of people have been complaining about this. I just happen to be one of them. And it looks like Valve is getting ready to implement a pin feature in the Steam Deck, which is absolutely awesome. This is coming from uh, Gaming on Linux. Uh, they got a tip over at their Discord. By the way, speaking of Discord, there is a Discord link in the description down below that will take you to our Discord, the Nerd Nest Discord, where you can join with thousands of other people who want to talk about video games. So hop on down there and we can have an awesome conversation. But uh, this is what Gaming on Linux found. Lock screen, incorrect pin, incorrect pin, try again, forgot your pin. If you forgot the system pin on this Steam Deck, you can reset it by logging into Steam with the username and password of the user who created the pin. You will need the password for, and then it's got like a string on there. By starting the reset process, the current user will be logged out of Steam and all games will be automatically closed. So, it looks like they're setting it up so that you can put a pin to lock your Steam Deck so that nobody can mess with it, which is awesome. And they're building it in so that if you forget your pin, which like I said when I was talking about the Xbox, I don't remember my Xbox pin. My fingers just remember it. Um, if you forget your pin, you can then reset it by logging into your actual account, which is awesome. And of course, it will kick you out and log you out and all of your games will close, but that is a small price to pay to get back into the system which you forgot your password for. So I think that that is absolutely fantastic. I am excited for this change. Now, this change is not yet here. It's on its way. At least it seems like it's on its way, but it's not here yet. Let's move on and talk about things that are actually here though. Now, this is something that I've never run into this issue. And apparently the way that it worked previously is if you went into offline mode on your Steam Deck and then you wanted to go back into online mode, you would have to reboot your Steam Deck. Uh, I've never run into this because I've never gone into offline mode. I just figured if it can't connect to Wi-Fi, then it'll not be online. And I've never ever run into an issue with this. However, I'm sure that that would be really irritating for somebody to put it into offline mode. And I can see why you would. Maybe you want to save battery. Um, but then going back into online mode, having to reboot, what a chore. So uh, Valve has updated offline mode. So now when you come out of offline mode, you no longer have to reboot the Steam Deck, which I think 
is really awesome. Now there are a bunch of other changes that Valve is making to the software. I'm gonna leave a link in the description down below so that you can read all of that stuff if you're interested in it, but I'm not gonna go through every last bit of it. Speaking of the Steam Deck, however, I wanna talk about a game that I've kind of been putting a lot of time into lately on deck, and that is Neon Drive. If you've never played Neon Drive, I don't even know where I got this game. I, I cannot tell you. It's in my library, and it's probably something that I got through Humble Bundle at some point. But if you've never played it, I want you to think of Guitar Hero. But instead of trying to hit the notes, you're trying to avoid the notes. And as you try and avoid the notes, it, you're avoiding them in your car. And everything has this awesome 80s synthwave aesthetic to it that I don't know about you, but I find incredibly appealing. And I also really, really like the music. And there's only two buttons. There's a button that moves your car to the left and a button that moves your car to the right. And you just have to avoid the notes. And uh, it's incredibly fun. I've really been enjoying it. And if you have not tried this game out, you absolutely should. It is, I don't remember how much it is. Let me look. It is $10 on Steam. It is absolutely worth it. It's a really fantastic game. It's been out since 2016, and I kind of ignored it until now. It's really fun, and you should try it out if you've got a Steam Deck. Let's move on to Sony. Uh, Jim Ryan, the president of Sony Interactive Entertainment, I think they're called, uh, he was on a podcast, and Video Games Chronicles uh, kind of translated, not translated, what's the word I'm looking for? Transcribed. They transcribed the things that he said on the podcast, and it, it has a little bit to do with acquisition. Now, in the previous episode, uh, I did talk a little bit about the fact that Sony had unveiled their PS Plus plans, and I personally think that they're less compelling than Game Pass because they have said they're not going to be bringing their first-party games directly to PlayStation Plus day and date. They're going to be doing things a little bit differently. And I think it's okay for different companies to try these different approaches and see what works best for them. I personally think that the Game Pass model makes more sense. Uh, but anyway, let's get to what Sony actually talked about with their, they call it a virtuous cycle, which is ridiculous, of gobbling up these smaller companies. Here's what they had to say. We're in a really good place with PlayStation Studios and have been for the past few years. The critical success and the commercial success of the games that they've been making, that has given us permission to invest heavily into content creation. We're growing our studios organically, and we're growing through acquisition. We acquired five studios during the course of 2021. We're in discussions with Bungie, and we have more planned. This is getting, it, this is getting us into a virtuous cycle where success begets success. The games that we make are getting bigger. They're getting better. They're getting more beautiful. They're getting richer. The narrative is getting stronger. This is really great, and gamers tell us this is what they really want from PlayStation. Now, first off, Jim Ryan, I don't think that gamers have been telling you that this is what they want. And maybe I'm going to be a little fanboy right now, but I feel like the whole motto of Sony of for the players has been thrown by the wayside and stomped on. And this is coming from somebody who very much wants a PS5. Like, I would like to have a PS5 so I can play those games. 
I don't have one yet. I'm still trying. As soon as I can, I will. But the idea that he's saying that the, the, the gamers are asking Sony to acquire more stuff, come on, that's ridiculous. Anyway, let's get back to what he did say. He said, now I have to say, putting these games into a subscription service immediately upon their release would break this virtuous cycle, and we wouldn't be able to invest in the way that we're currently able to. So we're not doing it. We're going to stick to the approach that we have had and has served us well under many years now. Okay, so essentially they're saying we feel that we would make less money if, and look, every company is out there to make money. Sony is not the bad guy for wanting to make money. Uh, but basically he's saying if we gave all of our games to our subscribers the way that Microsoft is doing with Xbox, we would make less money. And if we make less money, then we would not have as much money to invest in other acquisitions. And maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I don't know how Microsoft is doing. I know that we talked about this on last episode, that Microsoft says that they're doing really well. But would they be doing better if their games weren't day and date on Game Pass? I mean, there's no real way for us to know. But now we have... Um, a contrast. We have Microsoft, who's making acquisitions, buying their development studios, and taking those games and putting them on, them on Game Pass as part of the subscription day and date. And now we're going to have Sony, who's doing the same thing, but they're not putting their games on game, on PlayStation Pass or what PlayStation Plus, I think it's called, um, day and date. And so we're going to see which is the more successful route. For me personally, I think that the Microsoft approach is better. I really like Game Pass, and if you Google, is Game Pass the best value in gaming, you're going to see a lot of people say yes, me included. Right now, it's the best value in gaming. But, is it viable for long term? Only Microsoft and Sony can tell us that, and my guess is that they're not going to tell us anything. Right, let's move on to the lightning round. First off, I have a question for anybody out there who, like me, has a Steam Deck, but who, unlike me, purchased LEGO Star Wars on Steam. Because I went to purchase LEGO Star Wars for myself on Steam, and it said that it's unsupported by the Steam Deck. And I've played games on the Steam Deck that are unsupported, but I don't want to spend money on this if I can't play it on deck. So if you are somebody who has a Steam Deck, and you've been playing LEGO Star Wars the new, the brand new Lego Star Wars, I think it's called the Skywalker Saga, on Steam Deck. Let me know in the comments below or at me on Twitter because I don't want to invest in that game on my on on my uh, PC account if I can't play it on deck. If I'm if I can't play it on deck, I'll just get it on my Xbox or on my Nintendo Switch instead. And I want to end on a super positive note, and that is that Capcom has announced that they are raising the salaries of pretty much everybody that works for them by 30%. 30% is a crazy number. That is a huge, huge expense. And I always love it when people who work for video game, for the video game industry get paid more money. And I'm not talking about the big wigs. I'm not talking about the higher ups. I'm talking about the people who are actually making the games that we get to play. I want them to make way more money. I want them to work less. 
And I want them to be super happy because if they are those things, they're gonna keep making awesome games for us to play. So for Capcom to raise their salaries across the board by 30%, that's just nuts. And I wish that way more companies would do this. Here's exactly what Capcom had to say. Driven by its philosophy of being a creator of entertainment culture that stimulates your senses, Capcom will work to address the issues facing our society while aiming to improve its corporate value and establishing a relationship of trust with employees and stakeholders. I think that it's awesome that they're doing this. I can see like little companies doing this, but for a big company like Capcom who have made some of my favorite games in recent years like Resident Evil 7, I know that's an older game, but I don't care, like Resident Evil 7 or Monster Hunter Rise, um, I love that they're doing this and it just makes me wanna support them as a company more. Video game companies, Pay your employees a lot more money, and I bet your games will be better. That's all. That's it for today's episode of Games with Bill. Let me know what you think in the comments section down below or at me on Twitter. And if it's your first time here, thank you for hanging out at the Nerd Nest. Stay awesome, everybody. I'll see you next time.